Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Coming up on today's show, Mike Scotto from Hoops Hype. He is the NBA national reporter for Hoops Hype and a podcast host for Hoops Hype. He joins me for 30 excellent minutes. We really like dive deep on a lot of the thoughts surrounding the Brooklyn Nets right now. Most of the interview has to do with the trade deadline, but it also has to do with sort of larger questions about whether, you know, James Harden's future is truly with the team and whether to bet more on James Harden or Kyrie Irving at this point. A quick note before we get on the show, the news about Joe Harris, uh, Joe Harris's agent Mark Bartlestein informed at least Brian Lewis of The Post that Joe may need a second surgery, which we have no clue what that officially means, but I'm going to guess if he gets a second surgery, that he will not play for the rest of the year. Zach Lowe kind of hinted this on his show, that what he's hearing is that uh, Joe Harris may not play at all for the rest of the year. Uh, so while we wait on news for Joe Harris, I had asked Mike Scotto questions about Joe, but this is new information, so I just removed that section of the interview. A uh, quick thought here in, in the section that's supposed to be the tease to the episode. Uh, that concerns the hell out of me. And Sean Marks better be calling J.J. Redick and saying, J.J., dude, come out of retirement, take off that suit and get into a Nets uniform because uh, the Nets are going to need some shooting. Okay, coming up, I talk for about 20 minutes about the debacle that was the Kings game. And then after that, 30 good minutes with Mike Scotto on the NBA trade deadline. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Brian is not here. Apologies. I know everyone wants that angelic hello that Brian belts out before every episode. Uh, thank you all for being here. We have a really great interview coming up with Mike Scotto from Hoops Hype coming up in a few minutes or so. Uh, but first, I feel like I had to just kind of air some feelings out because we are recording this Thursday, February 3rd in the afternoon. And if you were like me, you stayed up late to watch the Sacramento Kings-Nets game. A debacle. Not from beginning to end, but from middle to end, it was an absolute debacle. One of the fun things sort of like about the internet right now, Twitter can be a very dark place, but I find Twitter spaces to be just like a pure joy. Now, the conversation in Twitter spaces can still be the wildest takes you've ever heard in your life, but really... Spaces is the Snapchat of podcasting. You can say these wild, crazy things. Fire Steve Nash, trades James Harden right now. You can say that the stuff in Spaces, it doesn't live on. It's just emotion. It's pure emotion after a big game like that. I mean, frankly, the Kings game should not have been a big game. That was what they 
you know, call them the biz a get right game, right? It's the game that the Nets have circled on the calendar. They had a five game losing streak going into that. And I think part of this is what part of played into the lack of emotion in the game. They see the Kings, the Kings are terrible. And they say, okay, we'll get the W there. They should have. They had James Harden and Kyrie Irving. You know, as much as we complain about the team's injuries with Kevin Durant and Joe Harris, the part-time playing status of Kyrie Irving, uh, James Harden's had some recent injuries, flare-ups, missing a game in here and there. This was a game they had Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Um, And they lost. They lost in an embarrassing way. They gave up the lead uh, near the end of the game. And then the Kings grew the lead. And the the Nets' performance was a debacle, as I said. Uh, Two things... I want to say about the game, and then we'll get to Mike Scotto. Trade deadline stuff. So happy. Who doesn't love trade deadline rumors? Two things. First, James Harden was horrific. And it was a common joke on Twitter at night. I think Evan Roberts from WFAN said it himself. Was It looked like James Harden had put money down on the Kings and was doing everything he can to help the Kings win the game. He was about, I think that was the worst game that I have seen him play since he joined the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm pretty sure it's the worst game of the big three. Him, Kyrie, and KD has played, of one of those players has played throughout their entire time, all these guys have been on the team. He was making the least smart turnovers. He was completely lacking in energy. Uh, Steve Nash said after the game that uh, James Harden seemed tired. Uh, It was a back-to-back, but... Oh my Lord. It was, he was detrimental, detrimental to the team's chances of winning. If James Harden simply had sat out the game, the Nets probably would have won the game because what would be happening was that the offense was still running through Harden. Yeah. He had 12 assists. He had six turnovers. He was two for 11 from the the field. And I often think if a guy's a high volume shooter and he has a really bad shooting night, it's almost like you have turnovers in a sense because you are so negatively impacting the team. You are consuming shots and not scoring at all with any level of efficiency. 0 for 3 from 3. No free throw attempts. James Harden did not get to the free throw line the entire game. The shots that he was putting up were ugly. And I got to tell you, uh, people in the spaces were were ready to trade him for Ben Simmons. That was the primary conversation. And this podcast isn't here to recount everything that happens in spaces. They are separate spaces. But the performance last night was so horrific that it really makes you doubt whether as a Nets fan, you want to see the Nets give James Harden a five-year Supermax contract that will pay him until I think he's 37 and paying him at that point $60 million in a season. He played so poorly that he projected to show possibly being becoming having the potential to have the worst contract in the NBA. My dog is furious. Georgie, come here. My dog is furious. Georgie, come over here. Come to the mic. Do you want to say something? I was listening before I, I got on here, I was listening to Zach Lowe's new new episode, the Low Post. And uh just quick thoughts out to Lowe. I know his mom is going through some medical stuff. Um obviously huge appreciator of his work the time he puts into his craft, and I love the podcast. And he had on Bobby Marks and Tim Bontemps, two people very familiar with the New Jersey and Brooklyn Nets, this franchise overall. And Bontemps and Marks were loudly saying that they would be very afraid of that James Harden contract. 
Now, I do think pretty much for most players in the NBA, particularly of a certain age, basically everyone would be afraid to give a guy a five-year contract. There's very few players you feel completely secure in giving a five-year max. Even though a lot of guys get the max, there's a very small list. I mean, LeBron, I don't even know if you'd give LeBron a five-year max technically right now. It's Kevin Durant. It's Luka. I guess Trey Young. I'm trying to think of young guys who have still have room to grow. Not that Kevin Durant's young, but he is so dominant. Giannis. But they're just not that many guys, particularly at the numbers that James Harden's going to get. doesn't change the reality. The James Harden contract's a little scary. It's been scary. He has never been a peak physical condition James since he's been here. Uh, he came here from Houston and he was overweight. He worked himself back into shape. He hurt his hammy. He tried to play in that Buck series in the second round. A valiant effort, but the Nets lost. His hammy had hurt him so badly during the offseason that apparently he couldn't work out to the level that he's used to. He was out of shape to start the season, whether due to the hammy or injury, it just was. He was out of shape. Uh, he slowly worked him back himself back into shape, but it took about a month and a half, and it seemed like things were going well. And he has had very good recent performances, high-level recent performances. But man, on a back-to-back against Sacramento, the Kings are horrible. And he was he was an abomination. It's a worrying thing. That was a worrying performance. But like he could show up against the Jazz, even though that Jazz matchup isn't perfect for him. But he could show up against the Jazz and cook Rudy Gobert on switches, and we'd all feel okay. But no free throw attempts against a Kings team, particularly in a game where the Nets are in the lead for most of the game, and then the the momentum begins to shift third quarter, fourth quarter. Harding can't get to the free throw line. I think he drove to the bucket once. He was playing so poorly that Kyrie had to force really bad three-point shots, pull-up threes, to try to account for the fact that Harden didn't have it that night. Nick Claxton had a career performance. James Johnson had basically a career performance. They got This was a game where they got good contributions from their bench. Blake scored nine points, James Johnson with 18, Cam Thomas with eight. You know, that's more than what they usually get from their bench. And they lost the game because of James Harden. And my final point before we get to Mike Scotto of Hoopsype. I have been a Steve Nash defender very consistently over his entire time. Not that you had to defend Steve Nash so much when he started coaching this team. When he was hired, you needed to defend him because there was a lot of criticism for hiring a guy who had never, ever been a coach before. It happens in the NBA, though. It's rare, but it happens. So you had to defend him in that point if you wanted to defend him. So I defended him. I thought he'd be an offensive genius and he would have the emotional, the EQ um, to handle this situation. And I think that part has borne out. But I'm watching this game last night, Kings, Nets, and there's a moment, I think it was like two minutes left in the fourth. The Nets had given over the lead. The Kings were growing their lead. Kyrie done two pull-up three-pointers. Neither of them went in. I think James Harden had a a not smart play. The Kings call a timeout. I think they're up eight. And you can see Steve Nash clapping very hardly, enthusiastically, enthusiastically, terrible, positively, and giving high fives to try to motivate Kyrie, giving high fives to Kyrie, giving high fives to James Harden to say, come on, guys, come on, we got this. Like, let's... Let's go. Positive, you know, positive energy. And I believe in the power of positive energy. Who doesn't love Oprah? 
power of positive energy. Think about what you want to achieve those goals. Being negative doesn't help you get the thing you want. Being positive does. But I'm seeing this happen. And for most coaches in the history of the NBA, this would have been a disgraceful performance from their team. The thing that's unique about Steve Nash, the yin and yang of him, the good and bad at the same time, is that he understands the modern NBA player almost better than any coach right now in the NBA. And he also probably understands as a player, it doesn't really help you if a coach yells in your face. There's no, in all of the leadership books that have been published, there is no leadership book that states getting yelled at in the face is good, right? The Steve Jobs style of management. Make me an iPod. That's what I imagine uh, the Steve Jobs sessions were when he wanted to make an iPod. Uh, him just yelling at people. So Steve Nash intrinsically and deeply and in his DNA is not to be a yeller. He's an extremely competitive person. We know that. But in that moment, I'm looking at him thinking, this team doesn't really need positive energy. This team needs a little bit of a kick in the tuchus. You know, they, they need a jolt. And a jolt can come not from negative energy per se, but a challenge from a coach. And in that moment, Steve opted for positivity and trying to lift them up. It's not a negative that he did that, but the team needed a jolt. What it, what it all comes down to with him, and I've said this before on Twitter, is I truly and deeply appreciate how he is as a head coach, particularly for this team, because I think any other head coach in the NBA would have completely screwed up the Kyrie part-time player situation, the Kyrie not even being a part of the team for many, many months. Uh, many other coaches would have said some veiled remarks in the press. They would have put more pressure and sort of distanced themselves from Kyrie, you know, saying stuff like, well, we don't have one of our best players here. He really should be here. There would have been some comment like that that would have turned Kyrie off. Kyrie would have soured against the team. And what Steve Nash consistently, he was on brand, and he would consistently say, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking to Kyrie. We're not even talking about basketball, and I just hope everything's going okay with him, and that's it, right? Like, he was very on brand with that. So I give him massive amount of credit for handling this Kyrie unvaccinated situation better than anyone else could in the NBA. But I don't know if I can point to an instance where Steve Nash has strategically given the Nets an advantage on the court. There's a lot that goes into coaching that we don't really see. There's more than just drawing up plays and during timeouts and ATOs, right? There's much more. And I know that for a fact that there's things that Steve Nash probably has done that maybe prepping for a game that has played out in a game and, and has gotten the Nets a win. But it just feels like rarely do, does the Nets, um, if they're lacking in talent in a game, because in the most part, they are the more talented team. When there are games and they're lacking in talent, do they rise above that moment? And this is going to get back to sort of a key point about this team. Rarely do they rise above the moment. It doesn't feel like strategically Nash is giving them any edge. Um, and the team has been different this year than last year. Last year when they had Udoka and D'Antoni, they seemed a little sharper offensively and, and defensively, uh, particularly defensively at the end of last year. I completely understand that the, and I've said this before many, many times, this team is so disjointed. Guys are in and out of the lineup. There's injuries. There's no consistency at all. But by the fact that Kyrie Irving is a part-time player, it's a, 
it is a huge problem. It does show why the team, at least initially, wanted to keep Kyrie away because it is so difficult to take a guy like Kyrie in and out of the lineup every other game, right, because of his status, his vaccination status. But I still haven't seen the evidence that that Steve Nash can strategically win or boost this team enough to win games that maybe they shouldn't win. And frankly, last night against the Kings, that should have just been a game they would have won. It, it With James Harden and Kyrie Irving and the Kings not having De'Aaron Fox, it's, it's a game that they should have won. And this gets to my final point, and then we'll get to Mike Scotto to talk about trade deadline stuff. My biggest, biggest concern right now, specifically with what I'm seeing, and I hope things change when Joe Harris and KD come back, and I think we are even realizing more the importance of Kevin Durant. And when, if he comes back at full health and is scoring 30, you know, putting up 38s and fives or whatever. Um, I think he'll probably win MVP because everyone's going to have seen how good they were. They were number one in the East before, you know, when he got hurt, I think they were one or two, right? They are now sixth and closer to the play than they are to the one seed. Um, and if he comes back and they go on a winning streak, everyone's going to, there's going to be a narrative like, wow, Kevin Durant is truly the best player in the world. Look at him go and look at how the Nets are, everything back to normal. And I think that's a very real, real possibility. But I am worried that this team is, is lacking sort of the extra juice that you usually see from a championship team. And when I'm talking about the extra juice, it goes back to the strategic advantages or those games that when sort of, um, not everything is going right for the Nets or the championship team that we're talking about, that they still find a way to win. The Nets, more often than not, at least recently, particularly because they've lost six games in a row, are finding ways to lose. And championship teams find ways to win even when the odds are against them in that moment. And that speaks to a larger issue with the team. I understand talent wins all, if in the Nets at, at full capacity are by far the most talented team in the NBA. But there are other teams out there, the Bucks, the Suns, the Jazz to some degree, and certainly the Warriors, who have much more continuity, connectivity, and the sort of ethic that you need as a championship-level team that the Nets are not displaying at the moment, whether that's due to Steve Nash not really being able to fully implement a system, whether that's because Kyrie's a part-time player, whether that's because we're having reports about James Harden wanting to be traded to Philly, of course, Kevin Durant's injury and Joe Harris's injury. There are a lot of reasons why they don't look like a championship team right now, but it is concerning that they haven't been able to stack wins. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Memphis Grizzlies are two teams that are showing much more chemistry altogether than the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets have much more actualized talent than those two teams. Those two teams have potential. The Nets have true championship-level talent. I could say all this. It was a bad loss. It's, we're getting emotional. Uh, the Nets have, they still have a game against the Jazz uh, coming up, which is going to be important. If they lose that game and then they play, I'm going to scroll down for the schedule, at Denver on Sunday, and if they lose both of those games, both of those games, I would imagine they are uh, not favorited to win. What are we looking at there? That's a an eight game losing streak going into the fight, like going into the trade deadline, and you know who know who knows from there. 
it's it's an important it's an important stretch. This team needs to win games without Kevin Durant. They can't just keep losing and waiting for Kevin Durant to play. Well, what a fun open. Hey, good times. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming back, Mike Scotto from Hoopsype, one of the best, an absolute sweetheart. We're going to talk Nets and NBA trade deadline. What's the buzz? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, joining us on the show, Mike Scotto, NBA national writer with Hoopsite, podcast hopes as well for Hoopsite. Uh, Mike, you know, we've been trying to get this interview together for a few days, and I feel so bad that I keep trying to take your time away because I know how busy time this time of the year is. Is it actually that busy? As a reporter, how busy are you during trade deadline? Uh, I mean, it's pretty busy. I usually try to line up calls um, sometimes a day in advance with people just because, you know, I look at a game schedule and, and when guys are not playing that day, I usually try to, to get them on the phone and it's always handy um, with me. Um, honestly, if I, uh, you know, if I take a shower or something, I have it on the, the stand next to me just in case something pops up. And then, uh, you know, because you never know when something could be happening. Um, I think that for the most part, I, for me, I enjoy this time of the year because you're always talking with people anyway, whether you're at games or summer league events and things like that. And this is just like, uh, it, it's almost, it's almost like being in like high school. Like, Oh, what do you, you heard this, you heard that, like, you know, yeah. it's just a bunch of that and piecing them together. Um, what's real, what's not. Cause like, obviously we all hear different things, but um, certainly don't try to just throw everything out there that I hear. Um, you obviously got to try to corroborate it as best you can. And um, it's fun right now. I know that it's like kind of quiet at the moment, but I always say to people, that's always like the calm before the storm. There are definitely moves that are going to go down. Like Oklahoma city has way too much space to get to the salary floor, not to take people on. A lot of the contenders are looking to make moves and get better. You've got, Indiana looking to be a seller and they've got plenty of attractive pieces. Um, you know, Detroit with Jeremy Grant, certainly, um, you know, the Lakers are going to be linked to every free agent and guy on a trade block in creation. So, uh, you know, tis the season. If I gave you, this may be a hard question, but if I gave you Ben Simmons, mm -hmm. obviously Lillard, but we know Lillard's not going to move Beal, Harden, Westbrook, if I gave you that bundle and I said, I get the field or that bundle and all, all only one person from that bundle needs to be traded. I'm taking the field, right? Of course you're taking the field. Like basically the question is those guys aren't probably going to be moved at the deadline. 
right? None of those names. You're thinking about it. I don't see. Okay, so let's go one by one. So you started off with Ben Simmons. I think the Philly is going to hold on to him ultimately to have a shot at James Harden uh, this summer and a potential sign and trade. Um, at least, you know, that's like Daryl's dream. You know, Daryl Morey has wanted James Harden from before the Nets got him. And that hasn't changed to my knowledge. <laughs> and, um, you know, if not, it'll be interesting to see, you know, like, I don't, I don't see, I know things are tough in Washington right now, but I still don't see Bradley Beal yet getting moved. Now, granted, we're recording this a week before the deadline. So if Brad Beal has a change of mind and says, eh, I'm thinking maybe I won't stay, then that changes the game for sure. But, you know, the other scenario with guys like that and, and with Harden, you could always do it after the season. Um, and those teams are going to want to maximize their opportunities with those star players and see if they can get as far as they can. Um, certainly, I know uh, after the Kings game with the Nets, uh, Nets Twitter spaces was uh, lit like the 4th of July. So did you did you get in the do you get in the spaces? Do I do sometimes. I'm, and I'll say this, you know, I mean, one, uh, I'm from Brooklyn and I obviously covered the team with the athletic. And I, you know, <clears throat> I've always had ties to them. Obviously, the Knicks as well. I'm in New York. Um, so I do pop in once in a while if I don't have any calls or anything going on, or I'm just texting people back and forth around the league. I find the spaces to be quite hilarious. And, and for the most part, when I've been in there, whether it's there, I've done some Lakers spaces before. People have been uh, very courteous and nice, just ask questions and feedback. I find it to be hilarious with some of the people. Um, it gives me a good laugh and it's a fun way to interact. And, uh, you know, you, you grow followers too on Twitter. It's uh, It's been a fun experience for me so far. I think it's surprising to, because I was in the spaces last night, Nets after Nets Kings, it was mm-hmm. it was about as dark of a place as you could really be, but everyone was respectful. I think it's surprising to people that <laughs> an open audio forum like that on Twitter ends up being like generally pretty nice, right? Like it actually, yeah. I think it makes it a little bit friendlier than actual Twitter because you are talking to the person as opposed to like. Oh like yeah, nobody half the things that you know. First of all, spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Um, but also like, you know, anybody that's typing something behind a keyboard, you don't have a face and a personality. It's like, I like to think I'm a nice guy. I I generally get along with people. So, you know, if you have a thing, maybe you don't agree with me on something, that's fine. But like some people, you know, when the Pelicans, I reported that they were looking at Eric Gordon, uh, you know, Pelicans Twitter was like, no way, man, he was a bum with us. And, they would never do that again. It's like, meanwhile, it's a totally different regime. Then Brian Windhorst goes on ESPN and is like, oh, you know, the Pelicans are looking at uh, Fox and McCollum and Eric Gordon. I'm like, oh, you don't say, hmm. <laughs> you know, like, hmm. so, and I'm kind of glad, like, we're doing a little video, too, so you can see the facial expressions. Yeah. That's pretty much me. Like, hmm. Well, let, let's hmm. do it. I think everyone's listening to this is saying, let, get, ask these. There's so many burning questions involving the Nets. Fire away. I, I, this is obviously a, a hot topic team and, you know, I was happy to join you. So let's, let's fire away. Yeah. And I feel like we've had uh, multiple evolutions of this James Harden to Philly mm-hmm. conversation over the past two weeks from maybe even three weeks ago. And it's just evolved constantly. Um, what I wanted to ask you is at the core, what is the relationship between Harden and the Nets? Because at first, 
Nets fans wanted to dismiss the report saying it's Daryl Morey propaganda mm-hmm. and uh, c- persuasion. Yeah. And then we started to get more information from various places, various reporters about, no, actually, Harden, there's something there. Um, from your understanding, what's that relationship like? How frosty or hot is yeah. it? I mean, I had heard the whispers that he he wasn't totally thrilled with everything going on here. I, I had definitely heard the stuff uh, that there was a little bit of a – I'm thinking of the word because, you know, there are a lot of aggregators out there, but not overly pleased that Kyrie Irving is not able to play home games, you know, and is unvaccinated. That's a huge detriment to the team and their ability to succeed and, and win a championship, which is what, you know, he wanted to do. It's why he wanted to go there ultimately. Um, the stuff about Steve Nash that was reported. So there's a dual-edged sword with that. When the Nets were going through COVID and everything, who were you playing? You know, it's like, it's not like Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire could suit up off the bench. Uh, you don't really have a lot of choice with some of those lineups. Some decisions I've personally questioned, like, I thought for sure Paul Millsap was going to play more than James Johnson this year, 100%. And I've, I've said that to anybody I've spoken to around the league, and even some people I know on the Nets. Um, but as far as uh, you know, other things, I think Bruce Brown's uh, minutes have fluctuated, and that surprised me. You know, he's he's he's, he's Steve Nash has clearly tinkered with the lineups a lot, and you've seen David Duke and Dayron Sharp and Cam Thomas think a lot more than people thought early on. Um, and so that's been a little bit of a surprise to people, but at the same time, they're going to be better off for the playoffs, which is ultimately what you're playing for anyway. Um, so as far as James goes, I mean, the, the stuff about him being close to Michael Rubin. Yeah, that's out there. Um, it's, you know, accurate as far as I know, but I don't know ultimately at the end of the season, how that's going to play. Ultimately. I, I really think it comes down to like, if the Nets, win a title this is not a conversation i don't think i don't think he's leaving after you win a title now if they get bounced in the first or second round and they and they fail to you know reach expectations then i think you got to be on alert and a lot of people you know wanted to not really hear the whole ben simmons for hard and talk but you know if there's a world um, you know, and I saw like, you know, you tweeted that, you know, I would come on and people had questions. I think somebody asked about it. What would it be like if Ben Simmons, uh, was coming here or what it would be like a post Harden era if, you know, he ends up yeah. leaving. So that was, uh, that was Peter Goodman of the new, he's one of our listeners. He's an economics writer for the New York times actually mm-hmm. just wrote a book Davos man. So I'll give him a shout out. Yeah. So he asked, is it time to seriously contemplate the post Kyrie Harden version of this team? He goes on to say, you know, Kyrie's unreliable and Harden is sometimes out of shape and erratic. Like Hmm. any team with a healthy KD is a contender, but what would, like, is that even a, you know, of course it's a possibility. I don't know how likely it is though that this team would, it would be so dramatic to have still Kevin Durant, but then bring in whatever you have gotten, like in Ben Simmons and then, Kyrie, I mean, who knows what his trade value would be if they did a sign and trade too. I mean, it, it's almost like too much Not, to think about. Well, well, I'll tell you this, Kyrie. You know, I had written previously on Kyrie's trade value around the league um, before he had returned. It wasn't pretty. Um, a lot of people in the league, when it comes to Kyrie, I'll start with Kyrie. 
lot of people around the league are hesitant to trade for a guy like Kyrie. Um, you know, he scares a lot of teams off one because of the unvaccinated status, but two, because, um, you know, you saw what happened the way he left Boston, Cleveland, the Nets, um, you know, teams just wonder if he's going to be a, for lack of a better phrase, a headache, in- incredible Supreme talent. No one questions that around the league, his availability from the vaccination standpoint to injuries in the past. Uh, have been a concern for teams as well. Um, and I, I don't really think Kyrie would want to leave. I think Kyrie loves it here, to be quite honest. It's, it's, you know, as close to his family as he could be. You know, I know in the beginning of the year, some people wanted to throw the Kyrie for Ben Simmons stuff out there. But, um, you know, I don't I don't know if there's a world where uh, Daryl will welcome that if he's clearly trying to get James. That's always been his guy. Um, you know, regarding James Harden, you know, if they ever did a sign and trade with Philly and you're getting Ben Simmons, you would probably get more than that. The, the curiosity there would be, are you also getting like a Seth Curry who could spread the floor and shoot? Are you getting draft picks, maybe a Matisse Thibel who would help them defensively? You know, and Ben Simmons would certainly help them defensively. Um, when I talked to executives, though, the the one caveat that they had in something like that would be, how does Ben Simmons fit theoretically with Kyrie and uh Kevin Durant, because he usually has needed the ball in his hands to be successful. And those guys are pretty good one-on-one players that create off the dribble. So that would be interesting. I think you would see Ben theoretically more uh, in towards the post um, and, and playing more of a power forward role. Um, but his defense would certainly be welcomed on this team. And, and I think, you know, again, they, they're going to get the ramp back, you know, luckily for them. Um, but a loss to the Kings, with both Kyrie and Harden and Harden having one of his worst performances of the season. Boy, that is, uh, that is probably as close to a red alert and a six to six game losing streak now that you'd have in in Brooklyn. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, we've seen this year after year in the NBA for decades, the championship teams, the teams that go to win the championship or teams that have won the championship and are trying to repeat, there are these games that they're back-to-backs, they're, the team is tired, but they find ways to win because they're smarter, right? You got to the There's no excuse for that, in my opinion, but yes. Yeah, and it's and that that Kings game, to me, I've been a defender of Steve Nash, and I'm, you know, like, this isn't me asking you to say Steve Nash is going to be fired, but, like, that's a coaching game. Harden played horrible, but I think it's a coaching game if you can't figure out the right motivational buttons to push going into this game particularly you're on a five game losing streak i think there was a natural psychological letdown of like oh what's the kings there were a lot of clips to your point there were a lot of clips of james harden on defense and i didn't see any d in the defense it was was it was horrific i mean it was honestly like the harden is lucky that that it was a king game it was a what was it wednesday night it was a yep. game that it's not like if it was a TNT, you know, obviously I, he probably would have played better, but if it was a TNT game, yeah. Charles, Kenny, and Shaq would have, that would have been the entire halftime show in the entire he, post game. He would have got roasted like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, and it was a, it was his worst performance. I said it was his, it was the worst performance of any big three member since Kevin Durant and Kyrie joined the team. You know, it was, he was, it was bad. And it also has people, and I'll ask you this question. So it, the um, the emotional sort of roller coaster Nets fans have been on since 
the reports started coming about James Harden and the 76ers, it goes, oh, we got to protect James Harden. James Harden's an MVP candidate. To now people are are concerned about giving him a five-year max. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would you rather give a five-year extension to, in your opinion, as a basketball mind? Would you rather commit to five years of Kyrie or five years of James Harden, knowing how much James Harden is going to be making, which is actually significantly more than Kyrie. I don't know the exact numbers on Kyrie, but we know that Harden, I think, like, what is it, a $60 million a year salary by the end of the five years, something extraordinary like that. Who would you rather commit to over five mm-hmm. years? That's an interesting question. Let me let me ponder that for a moment. Because I will on say one this. hand, On one hand, I would – you know, the, the conventional answer, I think – I'll answer this from an executive perspective – because, you know, and then I'll give my opinion, which may actually be different. From an executive perspective, I think most people would say James Harden, um, because at the end of the day, he's been on the court. He's more reliable. Um, however, to me, Kyrie has looked like the better player on the court this season. And I would say that if you did sign Kyrie to that extension, that if he happened to, you know, a lot of people always wonder, like, Kyrie would retire. Well, if Kyrie retires, he's not collecting the rest of that contract. So, in a way, you kind of get out of it. Um, I, I think there's definitely risk with Harden in the sense that um, Harden, uh, in terms of, and I think you mentioned about Peter Goodman saying sometimes um, he's out of shape. Well, every season there's a, a I, period. To be, I added the sometimes, to be fair. Oh, okay. said he is is out of shape and I was oh, okay. trying to be well every season James Harden is yeah. working his way back into shape I'll, I'll say it yeah um and so you know it's fine but at the end of the year is you know when James Harden's like a top five player in the league nobody cares well he hasn't looked like that guy this year um his shooting has been down um and yes he does not look um in his best physical shape Kyrie comes off the street essentially has a couple, you know, games to get loose. And then he's back to being Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Um, Kyrie's also younger, by the way, than Harden, which I think a lot of people forget. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on with you, just unprompted. Yeah. When Kyrie was asked about the reports and he got, I'm going to use the word surly with the media. I, I Boy, did it take me back to Houston when he was leaving there for a minute. And yes. I'm not saying he's going to ultimately, but it's like James. You can't tell me that nobody in the PR staff prepped you for that beforehand. You gotta, you gotta quell the fire better if you want to. He could have, you know, he didn't necessarily deny it. He did say he's frustrated. He could be frustrated with the team, and then he kind of said, you know, kind of was like, well, you know, we're not doing as well. And you know, like, I, I get that, but there's context to that. And also, by the way, you know, if you're not a top four seed, you get Kyrie more games in the playoffs, whether you want to hear that scenario or not. Yeah. That's always been a fun Nets Twitter spaces conspiracy theory that I get a kick out of. You know, it's like, you know, that meme where they're like this. And again, I'm glad you got the video for that because you yeah, can't yeah. hear it on the podcast. And I'm like, point <laughs> to my head, you know, yeah. No, I, that's, I, that's I the funny I thing of. is you bring up the Harden uh, press conference after the report. I thought the exact same thing. It was the exact tone before he gets traded out of Houston, the exact way he was handling the media, which is like basically dismissing any kind of question that that showed uncomfortableness, right? Or any right. reports that were out there. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, to answer my own question real quick, I, I would bet on Kyrie over five year period, even though who know, he could retire, he could <laughs> he could walk away for two years and come back. You you do have no clue, but Harden Harden's just concerning, man. It's just a concerning thing. Okay, let's do this because I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Let's hit, hit a couple of quick ones. Your bet does Nick Claxton is he on the team post deadline? Because we know they have to pay him. You know they want to keep him next year. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think, um, again, more, they're they're, they're certainly more open to moving Nick than I think they were in the past. Um, You know, Damon Sharp has looked good. Um, You know, LaMarcus Aldridge is still giving them a nice pick and pop. They're still playing Blake Griffin. They've got bodies there where if you are going to move Nick and maybe get some type of help on the wing, uh, you know, I think they have to look at that. I do. Um, you know, Nick is a guy that they've always valued. Um, you know, they thought they kind of hit a home run when they got him and, and he certainly has a lot of potential. I think if he was on another team, he'd be able to showcase more of his game, like handling the ball, uh, you know, handoffs to handoffs and rolls to the basket with guards a little bit more than just like straight pick and roll with Harden at the top of the key, for example. Um, ultimately, do I see him here after the deadline or not? That's kind of a I'm going to hold you. I mean, if you're wrong. It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. And for me, for me to say that, I think is something in itself. Because I, I, for years, I didn't think so. Now I I could see it. I could. Um, But the thing with Nick is he makes such a small salary that, you know, that's the 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 tough part of moving a guy like that with the CBA rule, especially if you're gonna, you know, if you were moving Nick, then you'd almost have to move Nick to a team that's got either cap space or a rebuilding team that, you know, they're gonna pay him in the off season because he's gonna be restricted. Um, you know, could they do what they did with Dinwiddie, where a sign and trade, maybe, depending on where they're at with the cap and whatnot, and if they feel they've got a, a suitable replacement in Dayron Sharp that's cheaper and they could use the money elsewhere. Yeah, I could see it. You know, I know Joe Sai's got plenty of money, but they could have kept Dinwiddie. They didn't do it. What, what do we think Nick Claxton? I, I know we're way, this is way down the line. How much do you think he's worth? Like the, the idea that most, what I've tried to come up with is like Nerland's Noel money. Nerland's yeah. Like 10 million or so more. Yeah. And honestly, Nerland's is much older but he's also, at least when he's healthy, more consistent. But Claxton has a higher ceiling. He's way younger, of course. There's yeah, look at the Wendell point. Carter extension as well. What was that at? Do you remember? Uh, Got to go on Hoops Hype. Got to look at salaries. I can't Not tell you yet. how much I use Hoops Hype. I basically, every every episode, I'm looking at the salaries. That's all I pretty much do. Particularly I'm glad. Listen, the- my, guy, uh, my guy, Yossi Gazin, he does a really good job with that. Um Four year, fifty million. So okay, you know, if you do the math on that, let's see. That's not bad. I remember when they got that. I thought that was good. That's twelve and a half a year. So for me, I don't know if you'd get that much, but I think like you know, ten is something I could see, or um, you know, a team coming after him with like a mid level, high mid level. If they have the full mid level, something like that, depending on where they at, kind of swing for the fence play. Um, but I could see the 10 million or so range. I haven't to, I, I haven't talked to executives much about that yet. Cause I want to see where teams are at after the deadline and, and the moves are made, but that's definitely something for down the line for sure. Can I ask one last question? And this is about the Nets neighbors. 
uh, in Manhattan. Uh, there's, there's slight buzz I'll name names, Bobby Marks and Bill Simmons have both talked about the idea of Russell Westbrook traded to the Knicks, uh, and the Knicks would give up like Fournier Burks, like a bunch of, you know, the poo poo platter of role players. Um, we know, I mean, it seems like the Lakers are considering the idea of flipping Russ if they could. Sure. Uh, the fit has been awkward. Um, what do you th- do? You think there's any truth to that? I mean, I, it seems very James Dolian that, that they would grab um, a mm-hmm. aging point guard who makes a lot of money, and that's Russ. Yeah, I if the Lakers could move Russ, you know, maybe, but I don't see for the Knicks. You've got Emmanuel quickly there, you know, and if you got all the talk about Jalen Brunson. You would think you'd rather go that route than get Russell Westbrook. I think anytime the Knicks are always going to get linked to players like that, just like the Lakers are. Um, do I see it ultimately happening? No. Would it shock me? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> because that, but but also it's like if you're the Knicks, right? And you've got you just make the trade for Cam Reddish, you've got some nice young pieces, and Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly. Um you know, I, I think to me, you got to roll with that ultimately. Um, you know, that to me, that's where it's got to be. I think stick with that. You know, they've got to really figure out more what they're doing with, um, you know, like Julius Randle, they just resigned now. You've got Fournier there. There's like an imbalance in that roster there that's got to get shaken out, especially like, I don't know. You got Fournier, you got Burks, you got RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett, I don't see going anywhere. So you got to, in my opinion, move either Fournier or Burks to open up minutes for Cam Reddish, who you just traded a first round pick for. At some point, like management's going to make a move to kind of force Tom Thibodeau's hand, whether he wants it or not, I would assume. To me, it's not the biggest story of the deadline, but that is the story that, well, there was harmony, it seemed, last year because of success. There, is some discord between management and coaching just by the simple fact of them getting Cam Reddish, him not playing. Yeah. Management, when they when they bring a guy in, they like to see that guy play. Every team, not just the Knicks. Oh, and yeah. And Cam they, Reddish isn't playing. And they still want to see him play. Yeah. Um, you know, I think <laughs> uh, for Tibbs, I mean, we've seen this script before, right? Like he goes to Minnesota, really turns them around right away. They overachieve. And then there are a set of expectations. And then it's tougher to meet those expectations, you know? Some people around the league, I remember telling me when they had such a great year last year, they overachieved. It's going to – it could bite them a little bit. And they go after Fournier. I didn't mind the Kemba deal. Like, Kemba deal was short, not a big deal long-term-wise. Take a swing, why not? I don't mind it. I really don't. Um, Evan Fournier, I thought that was a, a risk. You know, Julius Randle, you knew he was going to get – well, not, not even. You know, they could have let it play out more, but they didn't. They wanted to extend them. You know, Julius – CAA guy, Leon was from CAA, you know, where you got Worldwide West. Not surprising, but okay. Now, now you made your bed, you got to sleep in it. The Evan Fournier one, um, I don't know. The Knicks always find a way to get these guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., the Evan Fournier's of the world where, you know, the shooting guards, they, you know, they're paid a certain amount. And you're like, are they really worth that? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think they moved the needle, but to a team they thought so and ultimately i don't find it it moves the needle so i'm curious to see what they're going to do I, I do think they've got to 
make another move. It's it's funny because like they get Cam Reddish, then you got to make another move to to play Cam Reddish. But Cam Reddish has more upside, right? And with RJ Barrett, then you've got the conspiracy theory that RJ and Cam were there to ultimately get Zion Williamson in another you know universe as well down the line. So, um, and you've got the video that I shot a like. Zion, when Duke and them were in MSG, and Zion turns to RJ, is like, RJ, going to the Knicks? Isn't that your team, the Knicks? And then it's like, it's a whole just fun world. It's like, uh, what's the guy's name? Pepe Siva, when he's like pointing on the board, he's got the cigarette and he's like this, yeah, looking yeah. in the background or whatever. <laughs> that's what well, that's the NBA trade deadline. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect Mike. That's the perfect place to stop. Mike's got it. What's the best way to get your, your writing, your reporting, your podcasting? What's the best way for people to do it? Sure. I mean, follow me on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto, M I K E A S C O T T O. Um, you know, obviously go on Hoopside. You find my stuff there for the podcast. Uh, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you listen to podcasts, search the Hoops Hype Podcast. Uh, it'll also say with Michael Scott, but you don't need to type all that into Google. Just type in the Hoopside podcast. Appreciate anybody subscribing, listening. It's always a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, appreciate the the times. Always fun to talk Nets um, and NBA in general. And uh, it's going to be a fun uh, couple of days before the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited, and I'm so glad you came to join because you know, do the podcast. We don't know anything. And it's nice to talk to someone who knows something. So I appreciate you coming on, Mike. You got it. I uh, hope your listeners enjoyed it as well. I always enjoy uh, the Net Spaces community. So I'm sure this will be uh, fun as well. And uh, it was a lot of fun going back and forth. You know, a lot of times when we are on the phone as reporters constantly, um, I have separate chats with people in the league, executives and stuff. And we send memes of people. We'll send jokes. Like I remember, I remember the time like, uh, you know, Alvin Gentry was going off with the Kings on a couple of calls, like against the Lakers. And then there was like a shot clock violation. And it's like, oh, hell no. And then, you know, like that was going around. We'll send memes of uh, different people and stuff around. Like you got to keep it lighthearted a little because it, it, it does get like very mind numbing and like, you know, keeping track of all the the notes and rumors and things you hear. It's um, it's a lot. This is a good like little debrief and a lot of fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. You got it.